0: What do we think of when we think about an enemy? An enemy, when you look at normal people in the world, people that haven't been saved, people that haven't been touched by the the heart and the mind of God, an enemy is someone who stirs up strong emotions within you. If you have an enemy, normally they're feelings of dislike, um, even hate. Uh, And having enemies is something that happens quite a bit in this world. We know that there are many wars that are raised up between countries, between different groups in the world, based on differences, based on perceived slights, based on whatever, you name it. There are wars, and both sides of those wars come together as enemies. They come together as people that want to do harm to the other side, people that have no concern for the well-being or uh, that the other side are, are in any good health or, or in any good situation, but they want to see hurt and pain come to the other side because they are their enemies. And there have been many wars, uh, bitter wars, over many, many centuries, um, and millennia in this world where the two sides have just gone against each other until the other side was destroyed or had managed to escape. Because there was a hatred, there was something that made them an enemy of their people, their race, their their group, their ethnicity. And just because there is an enemy of a nation doesn't necessarily mean that the enemy, uh, they're, they're the enemy of the actual person themselves. A lot of people who go to war have no interest in killing, don't desire to kill, don't want to, to hurt another human being. And so when they are forced to do so, sometimes from a very early age, there are ways in which people can justify causing harm to another human being because they know within themselves that it is wrong. I know that in Vietnam, um, at least, that there are several people who referred to and believed within themselves that the Viet Cong were animals and that was the way, the only way that they could justify taking another human life because they perceived them as something less than human, as animals and and otherwise, they just could not deal with the guilt that killing another person, even if they were an enemy, would bring. And so there have been many wars, many bitter wars, um, with much fighting. And in general, in, in wars, there isn't any ceasefire. There isn't any, any, any reason for enemies to come together and, and shake hands until a war has been finished. However, something very strange happened in the First World War. It's called the Christmas Truce. And it was a series of widespread but unofficial ceasefires along the Western Front around Christmas 1914. In the week leading up to the holiday, German and British soldiers crossed trenches to exchange seasonal greetings and talk. In areas, men from both sides ventured into no man's land on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day to mingle and exchange food and souvenirs. There were joint burial ceremonies and prisoner swaps, while several meetings ended in carol singing. Men played games of football with one another, giving one of the most memorable images of the truce. Peaceful behaviour was not ubiquitous, it wasn't everywhere. Fighting continued in some sections, While in others, the site settled on little more than arrangements to recover bodies. Roughly 100,000 British and German troops were involved in the unofficial cessations of hostility along the Western Front. 100,000 mortal enemies who had been killing each other the previous day were now shaking hands, were now exchanging um, greetings and, and even souvenirs among themselves, playing games of soccer, The first truce started on Christmas Eve 1914 when German troops decorated the area around their trenches in the region of Ypres, Belgium, and particularly in St. Yvonne, called St. Yves, where the truce was described by a particular captain. The Germans placed candles on their trenches and Christmas trees then continued the celebration by singing Christmas carols. The British responded by singing carols of their own. The two sides continued by shouting Christmas greetings to each other. Soon thereafter, there were excursions across no man's land where small gifts were exchanged such as food, tobacco and alcohol, and souvenirs such as buttons and hats. The artillery in the region fell silent. The truce also allowed a breathing spell where recently killed soldiers could be brought back behind their lines by burial parties. Joint services were held. In many sectors, the truce lasted through Christmas night continuing until New Year's Day in others. I don't know of any other time in any other war where this sort of thing has happened to this extent. Yeah, there have been small truces in small areas, but 100,000 people from two sides that were locked in conflict where anyone was going to kill anybody at any time. But it's only the power of Jesus that could do something like that. On a day when especially back in those times, it was celebrated as the birthday of Jesus. It was celebrated as the Saviour who came into this world. Could this sort of thing possibly happen? By, by no other way and in no other war could this happen. And we find that God deals in a different way with enemies. There was no greater enemy of the early church than Saul. We don't read of anywhere else where the church was persecuted quite so badly. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 1 it says, And Saul was consenting unto Stephen's death, who was the first martyr of the church. And at that time there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and howling men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, preaching the word. And then a bit further on, it says, um, Saul wasn't content with just persecuting them in Jerusalem. They had all scattered everywhere. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, And desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. This was a persecution like had never been experienced before. The church was only in its infancy, but this man rose up as an enemy, as a great enemy of the church. But then on the way to Damascus, something strange happened. There was a light that shone around him, and... He fell to the ground, not knowing what it was, and he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. And he said, Well, what do you want me to do? He realized that he had been an enemy of, of, he was doing it on a religious basis, based on what he knew from the Word of God. And then all of a sudden, his entire way of thinking was turned around by the power of God something that was ingrained in him from birth, something that he'd been taught to always respect, something that he was passionate, something that he was zealous of, his experience, his way of following God, the only way that he knew how that was pleasing to follow God, suddenly all of that was turned around in an instant. And he was converted. After his conversion, the disciples, the apostles, were quite scared of him, um, to be quite understandably, but he went on to become the greatest preacher, the greatest proponent of the church. He went around and, and we don't read of anyone else planting more churches, we don't read of anyone else doing more than Saul in his later life. He encouraged the churches, he did many great things for the work of God. He mightily convinced the Jews that Jesus was Christ. He did many things that we don't read of being done by others in the New Testament. But he started out as the enemy of the church, the mortal enemy to death. And then we read of something else strange happening. The Romans were the enemies of the Jews. They were the oppressors. They uh, many Jews believed that the the Saviour who would come would deliver them out of the hands of the Romans. They he would be a mighty deliverer and, and fight against the Romans and and bring him uh, and sorry and bring them out with a mighty hand. But Jesus didn't come in that way. And so Jesus came, he died, he rose again, and then the church was born. And the Jews were still under Roman rule. The Romans were hated of the Jews. Um, Not only were they the oppressors, but they were also Gentiles. They had their own gods. They had uh, Mercurius. They had Jupiter. They they worshipped multiple gods, and they didn't worship the one true God. So the Jews had nothing to do with the Romans. And in general, the Romans had nothing to do with the Jews. But in the book of Acts, chapter 10, we read of something strange happening. Peter was in prayer um, before eating um, that day. And all of a sudden he saw a vision of of, uh, foods coming down in in a blanket. And and God saying to him, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. All sorts of animals and creatures that he was not allowed under the law to eat. And uh, he said, no, no, I'm not going to do that, Lord. Nothing unclean has ever entered into my mouth. And then it happened again. And God spoke to him the same words, arise, Peter, slay and eat. And, and Peter responded in the same fashion, no, Lord, nothing unclean is coming to my mouth. And then it happened a third time. And uh, Peter must have been wondering what was going on. And exactly the same words on both sides. God said the same thing, and Peter said the same thing. And after that, it went up into heaven. And then there came men from a Roman, a centurion, to say, to say please come um, and meet with us. Our master wants you to come. It's been told by an angel to come. And so Peter, um, realizing that this was of God, went. He'd had no idea what was going to happen He 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 had in no way, um, in no circumstance did he believe that these these Gentiles, these unbelievers, these worshippers of false gods, could be saved. They they weren't under the Jews. They weren't under God's promise. But he went anyway in faith and in obedience to the word of God. So he went, and and uh, Cornelius explained to him the situation that an angel had told him to go and get him, and. When he came, he, Peter then started preaching to them. That's what he knew to do. And so he started preaching to them um, in obedience to where God was leading him. And then all of a sudden, something strange happened. They were filled with the Holy Ghost, just like the Jews in the church had been filled. And this was something strange. And so Peter was saying, Well, God's in this. You know, who, who can hinder them from being baptized? They're enemies, but god is bringing about something new god is bringing about something different that not in my wildest dreams i could have believed would happen but this is something that is of god god broke through the racial barrier god broke through the the um, the resentment that was on both sides and did something incredible and mighty in bringing the gentiles into the church at that time And as part of of his preaching, he said, Peter said, And he said unto them, You know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation? But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. And then a bit further on, it says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. There are no enemies in the church of God. What we need to realize is that we were all enemies of God through sin. So not only were there enemies of nations, enemies of the Jews and enemies of the church but before we came to God and before we come to God we're an enemy of God through sin. If I could get you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll start at verse 1. So this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, um, the man who persecuted the church. He used to be known as Saul. He's talking to the Ephesian church. And he says, And you hath he quickened or made alive who are dead in trespasses and sins. wherein wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We're saying we were the children of wrath. God, we were the enemy of God. God could only have wrath against us because we weren't following His ways, His footsteps, His commandments. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith with, He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, even when we were unlovable, even when there was nothing that, uh, that would recommend us for the mercy and the grace of God, for His great love, Wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us or made us alive together with Christ. By grace, ye are saved. It's nothing that we deserve, it's nothing that we can do to make us worthy, but it's through his grace that Jesus has made a way for all of his enemies to come to him. That in uh, And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. In his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. You can't do it yourself. You can't make yourself worthy. You can't do things that will make yourself worthy for God. But it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't work your way into the kingdom of God. And having made peace through the blood of his cross... We talked about the blood this morning. We talked about the power of God this, this morning when we sang the songs. By him to reconcile all things unto himself. All things. There's no one. There's nothing that is left out. By him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, from enemies to friends. In Romans 5 and verse 8 it says, But God commandeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled by God to the death of, by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. God extends his arm of friendship to anyone and everyone. He wants to make us all his friends. You see, the Jews and the Gentiles were, in effect, enemies. Were, you're were either a Jew or you're a Gentile. Because of the Gentiles' idolatry and false religions, there were the Jewish version of infidels, unbelievers, ones who um, had nothing to do with the ways of God. They were looked down upon the Jews by, who worshipped the one and the true living God. The Jews deliberately segregated themselves from the Gentiles as well. We read about Peter talking about that. Even Jesus, when he sent out his disciples to preach, told them not to go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, which were the half-breeds, um, of marriages between Jews and Gentiles, because it wasn't time to bring the Gentiles in. The time of the church had not yet come. They were still under the old commandments. They were still under the old law of the Old Testament. And in Matthew 10 and 5 it says, Then these twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house, of Israel, At that time, the focus was on saving those within Israel, but that changed. God never meant that to be the end of it. In the Old Testament, there were times that God himself told Israel to destroy entire nations of Gentiles because of their sin, their abomination, and their idolatry. And many other times, the Jews fought wars against Gentile nations that rose up and tried to destroy them or push them out of the land that God Had given them. And I'm sure that there was no love lost on the Gentiles' end as well. The snobbishness and arrogance of the Jews toward them would have helped to set them at odds. There was a huge wall of spiritual and emotional resentment between the Jews and the Gentiles. But we read, and we're about to read as well, that God brought the Jews, both the Jews and the Gentiles, together into one church. If we continue on in the book of Ephesians, and verse 11, uh, 2 and verse 11, it says, "Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. The Jews all were, had to be circumcised as part of their religious acts, as part of following God. But the Gentiles they never been circumcised. The Jews looked down on them because they had never been circumcised." that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. There was no hope. You couldn't come and become a Jew. And strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, there was no hope for these Ephesians, these Gentiles. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ that has all power to save We sang the song, Mighty to Save, this morning. There is no one that is mightier to save than Jesus. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. There was a partition, there was a wall, there was something in between the Jews and the Gentiles. For he is our peace, what I just read, um, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the hatred, even the law of commandments uh, contained in ordinances, for to make of himself, of twain of two, one new man. So making peace. God looks at everyone in the church, no matter what race, no matter what ethnicity, as being one in him, as being one body, as being one. So making peace, and that he might reconcile both under God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, And to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. We don't serve different gods. We don't serve uh, a different God. But we all serve the ones in God. And we have the same access to him. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners. But fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. We're all in the same family and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. We're all working together for the same purpose, because we're all in one body, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. God has, hasn't made any divisions in the church. There should be no divisions, there should be no enemies within the church because God has made us all one. There should not be any reason, not race, not, not color of skin, no reason why there should be enemies in the church. You see, God is in the business of breaking down walls between enemies. And he invites all to come and be a part of his church. No one is accepted or excluded. It doesn't matter how many bad things you've done in the past to take you far away from God. It doesn't matter... It doesn't even matter if you were or are a Satanist, which is as far away as you can get from God spiritually. You're worshipping Satan who's in direct opposition to God. Or if you were or are an atheist who completely ignores and rejects even the existence of God, which must hurt God's feelings so badly because he's put something in each and every one of us that we would look to, that we would desire, that we would uh, want to worship him. Jesus is in the business of changing and bringing in all who are his enemies. So all to the extremes and all in between, God reaches out his hand and says, You're my enemy now, but I want to make you my friend. I want you to become part of my church, my body. I want you to become a part of what I am doing. There are many people in churches today who used to be atheists, but God got a hold of their heart. And showed them that he was very real and very true. In a way that they could not deny. There are also many people in churches who used to be Satanists. But God showed the true power and grace to them and turned their lives around. And the same for everyone in between. God, there are people in churches who have been in every situation and circumstance spiritually. But God has brought them into the church New age people, God has brought them into the church. Whoever you want to name, God has brought them into the church because he reaches out his hand of grace and salvation to all that would respond to him. Nobody can get so far away from God spiritually, mentally or emotionally that he can't and he won't come to them and invite them to come to him. All enemies are welcome in the church. And that's the title of my message, All Enemies Are Welcome. It doesn't matter what nationality or race you were born into, what color your skin is, how far your national culture is away from the culture of others in the church. Jesus has his own culture, and he brings you into an adoption relationship with God himself. We literally all become God's sons and daughters when we come into the church, And we're all literally spiritual brothers and sisters. From enemies in nationality to loving family members, there can't be a greater change than that. And it's all because of the life-changing power of Jesus. All enemies are welcome in the church. You see, Jesus has a new way of dealing with enemies. In Matthew 5.43, it says, You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate an enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Publicans were quite hated, by the way, um, of people because they, they extorted and, and ripped off um, people um, by taking their money. Be therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. God has set in order a new way of dealing with enemies where there should be no enemies. Whether it's an enemy outside or inside the church, Jesus has already made a way for them to be welcome in the church. And he's called us to do the same thing. If you love someone, as Jesus talks about loving your enemies, they are always welcome around you. And the deeper the love, the more they are welcome. By loving our enemies, we are welcoming them and making a way for them to be welcomed into the church as well. I could get oh, someone to the piano, please. If you're new to church or to this God thing, there's one thing that you should know. You're welcome here. Jesus welcomes you and we welcome you. It doesn't matter how much you may have bagged God, Jesus, the church, or people in the church before. Even the enemies and the former enemies of God are welcome in this place. If you've sinned greatly or even a little bit, that automatically makes you the enemy of God because it's sin that brings a barrier, brings a wall between us and God that can only be broken down by His power. If you've sinned and you're an enemy of God, there's one thing that you should know. You're welcome here. Jesus is in the business of changing all of the bad things about us and making us free. From sin, if you've been anti-God, worship Satan, refuse to believe that God even exists, or anything in between, you're welcome here. Jesus wants to show you how real He is and how He has more power to change lives and walk in victory than anybody or anything else. Jesus has more power than the highest-ranked politician in the world. Jesus has more power than the best efforts of Satan to go against his work in the church. Jesus even has more power than death. He rose again from the dead. When you come to Jesus, you come to the highest authority and power that there is in earth and in heaven. Jesus has the power to change mortal enemies to friends, brothers, and sisters. No number of psychiatrists, politicians, negotiators, or judges can do that in this world. But with Jesus, it's part of the course. It's what he does and what he does well. Jesus turned around the single-minded persecutor of the church who did his job with zeal and passion in Saul and turned him into the greatest church planner and church encourager that is recorded in the Bible. Jesus turned around the stubborn views of a rationally of a racially discriminate church leader in Peter that had been indoctrinated from when he was a child that. It was only his race that only his people could be saved and used him to usher in a new era in church history where the Gentiles could be freely saved, just the same as the Jews were. In this world, there is nothing that is harder to change than two nations or two groups of people that have been taught from birth through many generations to hate the other nation or the other people. It's something that generates its own momentum and just escalates and escalates and escalates. The infamous Hatfield-McCoy feud in the United States between two opposing uh, clans, you might say, lasted for 28 years and would still be going if the authorities hadn't stepped in. Because someone does something to the other side and then they retaliate and then they retaliate back and it just grows and grows and, and the next attack is more vicious, the next attack... Is more violent, and it keeps going until there's no one left or something really, really bad happens. Israel and Palestine have been in conflict since 1947, which later escalated into an Israel and an entire Arab nation conflict, which is still going today. And they're taught from birth that the other nation is the enemy. And they're taught from birth that They're to be hated. They're they're nothing that the other side is worthy to be destroyed. And so the feud and so the fighting goes on and on and on through generations and generations. You can't just send in a negotiator and expect it all to come out well. You can't send in a hundred negotiators and expect it to come out, out well. Something that is ingrained in a national or a group psyche tends to be permanent and keep growing bigger unless major dramatic action is taken. And even then, it can take years or even centuries to completely eradicate those thoughts, those feelings that rise up in those two peoples. But Jesus is able to change things in an instant for those that come to him. Even in the midst of brutal war, the power of Jesus can cause two opposing sides to drop their weapons and celebrate together for a day. No one else, no other power has the ability to do that. There's nothing else in this world that can do that. So if you are an enemy or if you have been an enemy of God, I invite you to come and meet someone who will welcome you with open arms. God doesn't judge our past when we come to him. He removes it. He removes all the bad things and makes us a completely new and a better person inside. Nobody has a life that is bad enough that Jesus can't change and turn it around for the better. If it sounds too good to be true, then you should know that Jesus is the only one on this earth that delivers all of his promises without question and without fail. Remember, he has all power, as we sang. He has all power so there is nothing that is impossible or too hard for him. I invite you to come to the front of the church where we will pray for you and introduce you to a life that is worth living, where Jesus will make all enemies,